Hi, I'm Steve Clemens, and I have a question. Joe Biden promised a lot in his first 100 days in office. How much has he delivered? Let's get to the bottom line. If you ever needed proof that time flies, just look at Washington, D.C. In January, we had thousands of diehard fans of Donald Trump scaling the walls of Congress to stop the transfer of power to the guy who actually won the election, Joe Biden. Today, 100 days later, many items on Biden's wish list have been fulfilled. A massive stimulus package was passed, and that put extra cash in the hands of hundreds of millions of Americans. About half of the population has been vaccinated, and now the U.S. is talking about getting the vaccine to other countries that are in worse shape. But some things are much harder to fix. Not one Republican voted for Biden's stimulus package, and all the promises of a new era of bipartisan politics still seem really far-fetched. And for all of Biden's nice talk about reforming the police, about gun control, about immigration, well, there's not much to show for it yet. And then there's climate change, and there's infrastructure, there's health, there's education, and don't forget foreign policy. Today, we're giving the president a report card on his first 100 days in office, and we're talking to two great people, Liz Mayer, a former spokesperson and communication official for the Republican National Committee, and Josh Marshall, editor and publisher of the progressive media site Talking Points Memo, known as TPM. Let me just start out with you, Liz. When you are grading Joe Biden, what comes up as the most important steps that he has taken that you, you think he's moving the needle, and what, what hasn't he done? Okay, so I think when we're looking at Joe Biden, I think the two most important things that we're grading him on and the two things that are most important to the electric are, number one, how's he doing with regard to COVID response? Yeah. And number two, yeah. how's he doing at not beating Donald Trump, right? Because at the end of the day, a lot of people simply voted for him because he was not Donald Trump. Yeah. So I think on the first front, with regard to the Donald Trump point, obviously he's doing very well. There's a strong contrast. I think everybody gets that. Um, amongst other things, we have a president now who we don't have to think about all the time. I think that's a pretty major contrast. When you're looking at COVID response, it also seems that we're doing pretty well. The U.S. is doing very well when you compare to the rest of the world with regard to our vaccination rates. Obviously, our case numbers aren't great, but as herd immunity is approached, I think those are going to come down. Um, the one caveat that I would offer to this is that Joe Biden has a habit of setting benchmarks and targets rather low to a point where they should be easily met or exceeded. And so I think in some cases, he's kind of allowing himself to be graded on a particularly favorable curve, and we'll see how long that works out. Um, my personal view is that the electorate may sort of start tiring of that or may start factoring that into their right. assessments of how he's doing. When I ask friends and family, they keep telling me, look, as long as he continues to not be Donald Trump, he can basically <laughs> do whatever the heck he wants. Josh, I mean, I, I'd love to get your take on it, but I mean, one, one of the thoughts that comes to me is Donald Trump had won the election, you know, would we have had kind of, uh, you know, Final Four, West Virginia, Georgia, you know, various states competing, and if, you know, the winners get the COVID vaccines. Um, but I'd be interested to know what, you know, you think about, uh, you know, the Biden picture, uh, what, where you think he's winning, where you think he's losing. Well, I, there's a lot I agree with uh, Liz about. I think, uh, you know, the... The, the two main things out of the gate are just returning some semblance of uh, normalcy and, and perhaps just, uh, you know, stability, hmm. you know, kind of affective stability to the White House. And, and just in the way that in the United States, the presidency sort of uh, casts a, you know, sets a tone, casts a pall over the country. And if and if you have someone like uh, Donald Trump, who's president, that is just a very destabilizing 
wild kind of thing. And people were clearly ready to be done with that. I think even a number of Trump supporters were kind of ready to be done with that. Uh, the other overwhelming thing is COVID. Uh, I think that I would disagree a little bit with Liz that I think, you know, when, when he made the projection of 100 million shots in people's arms in the, hundred, in the first 100 days, a lot of people didn't think that was going to be possible or it was, a, you know, a stretch. He's, he's doubled that. Um, so that is that is going well uh, for, for him. The you know, he he got through the covid relief package, which not only uh, did a lot on the immediate covid front, it also addressed a lot of things that people from his party were interested in, uh, interested in, f found very important. I think the main thing that he is succeeding with so far, which was which was perhaps not easy to predict is that he is right there with a lot of the most forward-leaning elements, youngest elements of his party, and uh, matching a lot of things that they have wanted, putting those on the table. He's gotten some of them passed already in the COVID relief, in the COVID relief bill. Some of it's coming up with his jobs and infrastructure plan. He has, he has managed to do that and basically stay about as on the right side of public opinion in the country at large as is possible in the polarized era that we live in. Uh, we'll kind of take that for granted now, and I think mm. one could argue from a progressive left perspective, well, a lot of these things were always pretty popular, you know, if, and, and that's how he's able to do it. Um, he's, he's done some of those things. He's, he's pushed hard on some of those things, some he's hung back from. And there's just, you know, there's something very uh, odd and improbable about this sort of late life act of, of, of Joe Biden's. This is not, uh, you know, at, at almost any point in Joe Biden's career, which goes back 50 years in American politics, one, this is not something what one, someone would have ever have predicted that he's, you know, that he is this. Well, uh, at least, at least trying to be a kind of an FDR, LBJ type presidential uh, figure, and in many ways, at least in the initial months, is having some luck at it. Well, I, I you know, I find it a fascinating depiction, uh, Liz, that that Joe Biden, whom we've all known. I mean, everybody in Washington has known Joe Biden, right? They've known him for decades. Uh, and he was a guy who ran for president, you know, any number of times, didn't quite make it, you know, basically was vice president of the United States and told by the president, you know, Obama, essentially to, you know, take a take a, a, a pass while Hillary Clinton tried to run. This is somebody coming in who's sort of, you know, many people perceive to win at the margins. And as Josh said, to, to now look at him trying to do something on the scale of the New Deal or the Great Society, Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson. I'm, I'm interested in how you see it. Do, do conservatives look at Joe Biden as, as potentially that consequential? I don't know. I think that that's an open question. I'm not sure that we're far enough in for conservatives to really have a settled view. I think that there are a lot of conservatives, and I would point out that I call myself a libertarian, not a conservative, so I'm not quite on the same page as them with this. Mm. I think a lot of conservatives um, have been slightly surprised at how progressive Biden has been. Um, I think what they expected to see was that he would be ideologically moderate, 
but dispositionally a little bit more out there. Hmm. And in fact, what they're seeing is kind of the reverse. Now, for those of us who have had to pay more attention to Biden, and I would count myself among them, since he was Obama's vice presidential nominee in 2008, and that's when I was at the RNC, so I was going through reams and reams of information about him. Um, I'm not terribly surprised by this, nor am I terribly surprised about where he's ended up and the trajectory of his career and the fact that, yes, he's very, very old, it's true, um, but that he has achieved success at this point in his life. Um, but I, I think probably compared to the majority of the electorate, I'm an outlier there. So uh, we'll wait and see kind of where conservatives come down on him. I think that at the moment, the thing that's really interesting to me is that I think on some things, he actually appears to be far more left-leaning than President Obama was. But he just doesn't really enrage conservatives to nearly the degree that President Obama did. And I'm sure that Josh has many theories as to why that might be. But I think it's very interesting because he's probably going to be in a position to get away with a little bit more than what people had expected. Um, I'm also I, I would say oh. he is on almost every yeah. front, he, not just some things with Obama. I think one is one would be hard pressed to find any major facet of policy or politics in which Joe Biden in 2021 is not to the left of President Obama basically at any time during his presidency. Which is remarkable. I, I mean, I think it's a remarkable, go ahead, Liz. I think it's a remarkable comment that Josh just shared that when you do, you know, even along foreign policy lines, you think about economic policy, you think about minimum wage, you think about climate. Uh, of course, you know, Obama was there on climate. But I think in that in that area of of, uh, you know, looking at where they are on the scale, Biden does seem to come out uh, on the left side. Liz? I, th I think that's generally correct. Um, but I think that one thing that's a little bit different is I think that Biden, from his years of experience in Washington, D.C., uh, he hasn't really, as you've noted, succeeded in getting bipartisan votes on things yet. Um, you know, he did promise to put a Republican in his cabinet, then didn't do it, doesn't have a lot of high-ranking Republicans. But I think one thing that's different between him and Obama that actually does make him look a little bit more moderate is that while the policy that he's pushing is much more left-leaning by and by, I think in general he has proved a lot more willing to conduct sort of basic outreach and try to do some appealing to Republicans. So that started, I think, during the campaign with a lot of outreach to suburban Republican women who weren't going to vote for Trump, didn't want to vote for Trump, mm. needed an excuse to vote for him. But I also think, you know, when you look at his career and his record of deal cutting and that kind of thing, I can kind of see how he ends up with more success because I think where Obama had this uh, this sort of um, this sort of ethos about him of being a little bit superior, um, coming off to people as being a little bit egotistical, a little bit aloof. Biden really doesn't have that. And so I think that that's something that um, that is important to take note of. It doesn't necessarily affect the policy, but I think dispositionally he's probably uh, a little bit more inclined towards things that look middle of the road than what Obama was. Josh, I'm trying to think I, I of think, the, the yeah. chamber when, when the president is speaking to the, a joint session of Congress, giving a State of the Union address, talking about the various boxes he's checked off, you know, climate change or, you know, dealing with, uh, uh, you know, getting leaders together to look at that, you know, the American Recovery Act, looking at what he's going to do on infrastructure. But another dimension of that is foreign policy. And you know, he was in. He he sent uh, basically his his two top national security officials uh, to to be tough on China, to have a very candid talk on China. Have be have has. I thought he was going to be much more focused on the domestic, less on the international. But he's been able to kind of you know chew and uh, you know or I should say walk and chew gum at the same time. And I'm interested in whether that 
chamber is going to find moments where he was tough on Putin, tough on Xi Jinping, and you'll get the whole chamber applauding his foreign policy. What do you think? I think it's possible. I mean, I've, for the reasons we know, we all know, uh, Russia is a very uh, complicated, multivalent issue in in American politics now. Uh, obviously, you have you, you sort of have both parties moving in similar directions, looking at the you know contest between the U.S. and China. So that's that's possible. There's a lot of ways that that China policy. Has become, uh, you know, deeply connected with domestic policy in the United States because of, because of COVID, because of trade issues, because of of of, of lots of different things. I, I think, you know, uh, on the point we were making about, you know, Biden versus Obama. One thing worth remembering is that in many ways, Biden got the job as vice president precisely because he seemed too old to ever to run again. So it was much as Bush had with with Dick Cheney, sort of disrupting that model of the vice president being, you know, having kind of future political interests of of, of their own. The big thing about Joe Biden, in my mind, is Joe Biden has always been a consensus Democrat. He will basically be where the Democratic Party is, kind of wherever it goes. And so in that in that sense, I agree with Liz. It does not surprise me greatly that this is where he has ended up. I was telling a lot of people in kind of intra-Democratic Party discussions, you know, during the primaries that that this is this is where I thought that, um, you know, where I thought that he would be. Look, there's some obvious things with uh, Joe Biden. Look, Joe Biden is old. He's an old white Catholic man who has a very kind of genial personality. Even people who are trying to demonize him now have a hard time getting past that. Mm. Uh, Barack Obama was a young black man with a foreign sounding name rooted in Arabic. Uh, (laughs) These are very different people, right? It's it's, it's not surprising to me at all that that, that, uh, things, you know, he is a different person. American politics reacts to those two different kinds of people differently. I think that that's just, mm. you know, that 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 is just obvious. The other right. thing is, and this is one of those examples of sometimes a a flawed person. We're all flawed, but sometimes a flawed person meets their moment. And the uh, kind of a signature thing about Joe Biden through his political career has been the the politics of empathy. Mm. Um, And at many points in our history, that is that is that is of only limited uh, political, you know, currency, political resonance. He managed to become president, though, in a period where it was a central grounding aspect of a political personality, both because of COVID and because he was succeeding a man who is whose signature characteristic was a radical lack of empathy and a a signature of predation. So in many ways, there are things about Joe Biden, you know, he moves with the party ideologically, but there are things about him as a person which gave him particular grounding particular resonance, particular ability to sort of connect with people Hmm. that's unique to right now. Uh, Another bit of the drama uh, in America these last few years has been uh, police issues, policing. We have the death of George Floyd. Uh, We've had, you know, uh, efforts on the table on gun reform. 
and also other dimensions of regulation in that space, but also broadly. As a libertarian, what, is, what does that uh, uh, do for you? Is that something that gives you um, certain concern? Yeah, I mean, it's a mixed bag on the policing stuff. I'm sure that uh, overall I probably tend to align more with where most Democrats are on that. Um, you know, I'm somebody who's always been very skeptical of government power in all of its forms. Um, as a younger person, a teenager growing up in Seattle, I certainly had uh, negative interactions with the police. So mm -hmm. I don't think that that's something that's confined to African-American males. Um, but it's something that certainly makes me very empathetic to the situation that they find themselves in pretty much every single day when they're interacting with law enforcement, right? So um, I certainly think that the direction that people are, seem to be going in on that front is a good one. Um, I think Biden in particular, the fact that he's rejected a lot of the uh, proposals to sort of defund the police and a lot of the stuff that seems to be coming from the hard left and the sort of, you know, uh, Sanders-Nistas and uh, the democratic socialists of the world, um, I think is smart. In fact, he seems to be talking about putting more money into policing so that you can have better training to actually address some of these underlying issues. I think that's something that's fairly appealing to me as a libertarian, even though I don't like spending the money. Um, when it comes to the gun control debate, I I'm quite sure whatever he puts forward, um, I'm going to want to projectile vomit across the room, and I'll probably be mouthing <laughs> off on Twitter about it for Josh and everybody else to see all day long. But, um, you know... That's, that's also been true, I would say, with regard to what he's done on immigration. Um, I certainly prefer where he is on immigration to Donald Trump. But as somebody who's very, very pro-immigration, my problem with Joe Biden is I'm one of those people who would fall into the disapprove of the job he's doing uh, segment in a poll, but not because I think he's not deporting enough people or he's not being you know, tough and border security minded enough. I think he's actually kept too much of what Trump did put on the books. Mm. And I think that it's going to cause him problems long term. It's already causing him problems, both substantively and in terms of polit political optics. So, you know, I, he's going to be a mixed bag. Um, certainly the, the amount of spending I'm not happy with. Um, probably a lot of the regulation I'm not going to be happy with. Uh, we'll see what actually happens on taxes. I'm always a little bit incredulous that mm. Democrats get <laughs> what they want on taxes. Um, but there are, there are some good things here, for sure. Hey, listen, in the last few minutes, Senator Marco Rubio has said that he is not going to attend uh, the joint session of Congress. Some issue about seating. But Senator Joe Manchin will be there, who is a moderate member uh, uh, or the conservative wing of the Democratic Party, if you will. And Senator Manchin has been a guest before on the bottom line. Um, but I, I sometimes wonder if Joe Manchin were not there, would Joe Biden need to create him? Because... You know, he does create a different kind of dynamic in the party. A lot of Democrats are very frustrated. I'd love to get both of your, you know, snapshots, you know, on the role and presence and meaning of Joe Manchin in these times. Well, I would, you know, I would, it's funny. I would say it's possible that Joe Biden would need to invent him because he does allow him to sort of, you know, create some uh, kind of leverage back and forth, right, with these different uh, wings of the party that so far he's done a pretty good job, you know, kind of, holding together with him, the real people who would need to invent him are probably the seven or eight Democrats who, in a lot of these cases, have similar qualms on issues of substance and in some cases mm -hmm. on these kind of, you know, meta issues of, you know, filibuster, bipartisanship, all, you know, collegiality, all this kind of stuff. Because right. it's clear, I mean, you have uh, uh, Kristen Cinema, 
who, to my mind at least, is often just up there for the optics, right? right. To kind of position herself in this what she finds to be her sweet spot in, in Arizona, a kind of a you know a blue trending purple state. But you've clearly got you know whether it's minimum wage or uh, you know a corporate tax hike or all sorts of different issues. You've clearly got as I said, seven or eight other Democrats who are kind of happy to not, you know, not be the one taking the incoming on right. Twitter, basically, but still having him kind of run yeah, that. Joe, Joe Manchin's uh, willing that to take that. He's just anchored right well, there. And, 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 yeah. it for, and, and, and it's for him, as he says very openly sometimes, you know, having the left wing of his party coming after him is good for him in West Virginia. <laughs> and even though some him. of them don't realize yeah. it, no one's ever going to have a primary against him. So he's the one who paradoxically it's good for, right. whereas maybe a Mark Warner yeah. or Ben is one of these guys. It's not great right. for them. So they let him take it. Liz, get me, let me get a quick snapshot from you on the, the, the role and meaning of Senator Joe Manchin. Well, I think that generally people tend to sort of step into this role if there's a void, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, we certainly wouldn't have thought of Senator Mitt Romney potentially mm. being like the swing votes on anything in the right. Senate and being a moderate, right? He would have just been considered a bog standard mainstream conservative. But, you know, fast forward and here we are. So I think that uh, when you have a void, people do tend to step into it and fill it. But, yeah, Joe Manchin is a fascinating political character, and I agree with a lot of what Josh said. Um, when you go back and you look at everything that happened surrounding minimum wage, there was this whole discussion about how this was all about the filibuster. And in actual fact, it wasn't. It was totally right. about contester cinema. Uh, Mark Kelly, right? right? All of these modern Democrats who were absolutely not going to go for $15 minimum wage. But Joe Manchin was the one who sort of stood out front on that and took a lot of fire. I do sort of wonder if you're somebody like uh, like Tester, though, in Montana, mm. potentially being seen as being kind of Manchinite, maybe would be beneficial to him. I think the difference is that Joe Manchin, mm. having had right. the lengthy political career that he has in West Virginia, you know, I did an experiment once when I was out in West Virginia. I went through a Cracker Barrel, and I went through and I asked every single table what people thought of Joe Manchin. And... I think because of the lengthy political career that he has there and the name recognition he has, he does have some capacity to get away with things in West Virginia, whereas probably Tester doesn't actually have exactly the same standing. Maybe in like eight years, maybe we'll find he does, but he might not be there quite yet. I have been into some of those same Cracker Barrels in West Virginia, and I, and I, and I have kind of largely felt the same thing. There's been a great discussion, just really fast. You know, uh, we have the president going to be speaking uh, to the nation. Uh, we're a little bit more than three months in. Uh, what grade would you give Joe Biden, uh, uh, Josh? I'd say A or A minus. I think that given given the range of challenges, uh, not not just in policy terms, mm -hmm. but also kind of keeping his 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 rather you know fractured party together with him, it's hard for me to think how he could have realistically done right. much better than he has at this point. And Liz, your grade? I'm going to say incomplete, and there are two reasons why. Number one, big issue for me. I didn't know that was an no, option. <laughs> he has, sorry, yeah, he has, it's always an option for me. I'm a libertarian. I create my own rules. Um, 
Yeah, he has not. He has not done what he promised to do with regard to refugee numbers. He is currently still holding at that Trump number. They are saying that they will reverse that within about a month. But until they do, I can't give him anything other than an incomplete. And the other thing that's very important, probably for your viewers in particular, is he still has a ton of ambassadorships that have yet to be filled. Absolutely right. I'm a little yeah. bit shocked when you look at we don't have the U.S. doesn't have an ambassador to the European Union. That's crazy, 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 crazy. And I say that as you know, somebody who's British and have just had to, you know, give away the European Union, right? Um, but you, it's a huge trading block. It's a huge economic block. And the fact that we don't have that position filled yet, hmm. I think that that's a little bit of an oversight on his part, a pretty significant one. I know he's had his hands busy, but my goodness. So Ter until he gets those two things done for me, he's continuing to get an incomplete. Terrific conversation. So there we have it. We have, uh, you know, A, A minus and, and an incomplete. We'll be back with both of you again, I'm sure, uh, to take the measure of the Biden administration, you know, later on uh, in, its, in its tenure. Uh, communication strategist Liz Mayer, journalist Josh Marshall, thank you both uh, so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So what's the bottom line? Maybe the most important change we've noticed isn't the trillions of dollars that are pouring into the economy to end the pandemic or fix America's infrastructure or the great competition between Washington and Beijing on the world stage. Maybe it's got nothing to do with money and power for now. I think it's the temperature, not the temperature of global warming, but the political temperature in America where every new policy initiative from the White House would start a new round of culture wars or where every American looked at their neighbors with suspicion, wondering if they were quietly destroying the country. The reality is that the Trump era is slowly receding, although it's impossible to measure precisely. It's just a feeling, but it's kind of a good feeling, better than constant rage, as President Trump himself once said he was trying to provoke. For now, a decrease in toxicity, a lowering of the political heat, well, it's a good first start. And that's the bottom line.